Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. You're listening to the Medical School HQ podcast online at medicalschoolhq.net. Session number nine. Hello and welcome back to another session here at the Medical School HQ Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Gray, and we are the podcast about medical school. From the pre-med process through residency, we hope to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. In today's episode, I have a great interview for you. Yeah, you might already know this person. His name is Ryan, and he is a blogger and a first-year medical student. Uh, He blogs at practicalpremed.com, which is his old blog. He's got a ton of great information there. But now he's a first-year medical student, so now he blogs at whitecoatdo.com. As you can tell by the name, he is an osteopathic medical school. I'll uh, leave some suspense and let him tell you where he is right now in the interview. But first, I have... A question that I want to read to you. An email was sent in through the website at medicalschoolhq.net. And it says, hi, Dr. Gray. First of all, I absolutely love the podcast. It goes on to uh, compliment me some more. I always appreciate those kind of emails. And then it says, I'd like to know your opinion on studying medicine abroad and then practicing in the USA. I am a post-baccalaureate pre-med student from New Jersey and am considering studying medicine at a foreign medical school. I would especially like to study in Argentina at the University of Buenos Aires or Cordoba, which are among the leaders in South America. And it says public education in Argentina is also free to all, and that's a big incentive for me since I am broke, exclamation point. Will my credentials easily transfer to America? Do I have to, do I just have to prove I went to medical school and then take a licensing exam? So, thank you for that email. And this is definitely a topic for another day. It's a a huge topic going to medical school outside of uh, the U.S. 
But my advice, I, I emailed him back, and my advice to him was no, in no way should going to a foreign medical school be a first choice. It's not to say that the medical education he's going to get is any less, but to come back into the U.S. and to do a residency is very, very hard. You have to be at the top of your game, much more so than if you would have gone to a medical school here in the States. You have to be that much better than everybody else. You have to be the top... 1% of board exam scores. You have to just be a tremendous student. And it, it really sets you back to be a foreign medical grad, an FMG as we call them. Uh, like I said, a topic for another podcast, we can get some experts in here to talk to us about, uh, that whole process. But the, the short answer is don't worry about the money. Thousands of students every year graduate with tons of debt, and they pay it off. Being a physician doesn't make you rich anymore, depending on your specialty. Uh, Some do, maybe. But the, the fear of debt should not make you want to run to another country where the education is free. Stay here, get into a good school, go to a state school where it's cheaper, and and go from there. Obviously, you'll have to pinch some pennies during medical school. Take out the loans that you need. Don't go crazy. Live like a student now so that you can live like a doctor later. Don't live like a doctor now and live like a student later is a, a quote. I forget where I heard that from, but anyway. That was my advice, and like I said, we'll get, to, uh, we'll get to that topic in a future podcast. But on to the main event here today. We will jump into the interview with Ryan. I asked Ryan where he was in medical school. Yeah, so I just finished the first semester um, at Western University, the College of Osteopathic Medicine of the Pacific in uh, Pomona, California, which is in Southern California. So um, I just finished that. It was, like I said, a little, it was a big lesson in growth and in transition and learning to adjust to the volume and the pace of medical school. Um, definitely there's a huge contrast between your time management in ter- between undergrad and medical school just because in at UC Santa Barbara, where I went for undergrad, we would cover about 30 to 40 hours of lecture over a span of about 10 weeks. And now we've taken that same amount of material, about 30 to 40 hours, and they cram it down into two weeks. And so, you know, before I got to medical school, people would tell me, you're going to be studying about six to eight hours a day on like light days. And I, I thought that was ridiculous. I thought there was no way anyone could study that much. And now six to eight hours is just light days. And I truly, I mean, now that I'm in it, I understand like you have to keep up. Like if you study only four, three to four hour days in undergrad were like big accomplishments for me. And now those are just, you do those, those are like super easy days. (laughs) Yeah. So 
that's one of the biggest um, transition uh, points for most people is realizing the overload of studying that there is. And it, until, until you're actually in it, you have no clue. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I had physicians who told me that, and I thought they're all crazy. They said, you know, you have to go to all these classes, and then on top of that, you have to do that. And, you know, the first couple of weeks, there's definitely times where I looked at the schedule, and I just I didn't think it was humanely possible for me to get through it. And I just there's times when I definitely was doubting if I'd be able to learn everything to the um, – to the level that they expect you to for an exam, but if I can make it through a first semester, then I anyone else can. <laughs> so I want to kind of jump on something that's in the news right now with mm-hmm. with the amount of studying that you see is needed and the amount of material mm-hmm. that they're teaching. Mm-hmm. NYU is coming out saying, hey, we're going to start offering select students three-year medical school. Mm-hmm. It, ha- I, for one, thought with the amount of material that there is these days, I mean, with the mm-hmm. amount of data that we have, the the new research that we have, the the mm-hmm. sheer volume of data that we have compared to 20 years ago is just, it's exponentially large. And yeah. I think med school should be five years. Three years, <laughs> is it seems ridiculous. And, and yeah, I, it, I, let me hear what you want to say about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually I read that piece that came out, and I I was surprised that they were doing that because I definitely after this first semester of study, I mean, I studied more in this semester than I did in all four years of undergrad combined. Yeah, and I think what it more than anything it, it made me realize like how much more I have to learn because if I if I saw a patient right now, I'd be terrified. <laughs> I have no idea what, what to do. You know, I can take a history and physical, but beyond that, I can't really do anything. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely, it's it's interesting that they're doing that. Um, I know, I think Duke Medical School actually does all their preclinical uh, education in just one year. And they actually, they have a four-year program, but I think one of the years, they just have a year off and they can do whatever program they want. So I know that they've already compressed okay. all of their preclinical information to one year, but um I think it's an interesting, um, interesting experiment. I think with certain students, maybe they just are choosing very select students who are maybe already know exactly what specialty they want to do. And also, um, I'd assume someone who went into that program would be a non-traditional, someone who is a little more uh, figured out exactly what they want to do in life, is a little more mature and has, you know, the the study skills and the maturity to handle that workload. Because I think when I looked at it, you're basically, you don't have summers, you just go straight through and you have very short breaks and you just do everything really quick, which is nice if you want to finish on time. But I think taking those breaks, you know, really helps mentally. I've also, I found that this winter break has been really nice. I mean, I was feeling a little burnt out at the end of the semester, just studying, you know, X amount of hours every day. It's nice to have a couple of weeks to kind of decompress. And now I'm actually, I mean, I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I'm ready to get back to school. Now. <laughs> you <laughs> are like, regretting. I feel mentally refreshed for the next semester. Yeah. And that's what it's there for. It's, it's so you, you do decompress and get refreshed and, and can hit the ground running uh, for the next semester and soak up everything that there is. And, and I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm always open to, for change and, Obviously, three years will help 
increase the number of physicians that are coming out. But um, it, my biggest question is how are they going to determine how well it's working? It, yeah. it, obviously test scores, but I mean, you can cram for a test and do well on it. But yeah. when they get into residency and their internship and all of a sudden that information has to come out quickly and they don't have time to look it up, it, is that information actually ingrained or did they just learn it for the test and then it's flushed out so i don't know yeah. we'll see I, I just wanted to ask because I, th- I thought that was a good question based on <laughs> the information about how much and how much studying there is and it really there's yeah. a ton unfortunately and i think it, it'll take a long time before they can even evaluate like you said it, it seems like that's something that you can't really measure in tangibles in terms of whether they get that so yeah. i think it's a, maybe I mean it's a good experiment with people who know exactly what they want to do and have the maturity for it, but I think it'll be years before we can determine if this can be a more systematic thing we do with more students. Yeah, but I think on, in general for for the vast majority of students, I don't think a three year track is right for them. So you came you came straight from undergrad. You didn't take any time off. No, just the few months of summer break. <laughs> okay. Um. After going through your first semester, do you wish you would have taken some time off? Um, a little bit yes and no. Uh, the thing that the things that make me wish I'd taken a little time off are um, some of my classmates who are a little bit older. Um, I think seeing, oh, I mean, the majority of my classmates are older. I think the average age is about twenty five or twenty six. So I think seeing them and talking to them and kind of them telling me what they did. You know, in the years off made me wish I'd kind of traveled a little bit more or uh, did this or did that. But, you know, we're all kind of here at the same point right now. And I actually, you know, the the times that I wish I'd taken some time off are the times when it gets like really stressful. But um, now that I've kind of gotten to the groove of things and I'm actually I really I really like all my classmates. They the kind of the camaraderie we have at our class is really nice. So I actually really enjoy that. And even though you know, studying, studying sucks. We like find ways to make it better. So, um, I know that I had a really great, um, experiences in undergrad that made me, um, very sure that this is what I wanted to do as a career. So I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm at the next stage right now. Cause this is what I, I knew I was ready for the next stage when I left undergrad. But I mean, definitely you, I think about it just because, <clears throat> the path to become a physician after you start medical school is so long and it's another, couple years of school and then however many years of residency and um, it all kind of seems set in stone. But I know that I have, you know, a lot of time afterwards to, to kind of figure things out. Yeah. What did you major in? <laughs> uh, I majored in microbiology at uh, UC Santa Barbara. And I actually, um, I'm really glad I did. I, I took some really great classes um, in micro, in virology, immunology, and um, that's actually the next kind of class we have is like an infectious disease class and in immunology. So I'm hoping that um, will come into play a lot <laughs> because I remember when I was taking anatomy, uh, I'd never taken anatomy before. So that was actually that made it really difficult. But by the time we got to our like biochem classes, I had taken those um, as part of my major. So that actually really helped a lot. So definitely um, it helps a lot to take those classes beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think I, I posted that on one of your posts yeah. uh, about your uh, tips to surviving anatomy 
because I was an exercise yeah. physi uh, exercise physiology <clears throat> major and uh, took a, a lot of anatomy classes, and I think that, that having that base knowledge just helps so much. And and I've seen the opposite suggestion from from other people saying there's no point in taking anatomy in undergrad. You're going to take it at a much higher level in medical school, but I, I disagree with that. But that's my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not like, I don't think you have, I don't think it's mandatory for you to like actually get it. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that did well. I did fine. I didn't do like amazingly well, but I know a lot of people that did amazingly well and had an easier transition, especially because a lot of schools do anatomy first. I think taking anatomy in undergrad will kind of help ease that transition into medical school. So, and I, I mean, I definitely, I saw the contrast when I got to biochem and I knew stuff that my classmates who had taken anatomy before hadn't studied before and all of a sudden the roles were reversed and, you know, no one really needed to take it in order to pass. Everyone, you know, vast majority of people passed, but if you want to do really well and kind of ease that transition and it might help to take anatomy beforehand. Yeah. So you, you're a blogger. How did you, how did you start blogging? Uh, well, it's kind of, it's a great question. It's kind of an interesting story because I, I, during my sophomore year, I think it was either my sophomore or junior year of undergrad. Um, I'd been doing all of the, you know, normal stuff that pre-meds do, volunteer in a hospital, start research, um, couple, all the other checklist things that you see. Um, and I wasn't, really feeling inspired or anything. I wasn't feeling anything that I was really passionate about. I mean, I, I knew I'd, I had an inkling that I wanted to be a physician and I, I figured, you know, this is kind of the career path I wanted to go down to, but there wasn't a lot of creative outlets per se for me to pursue. Um, and actually I'd been reading uh, Cal Newport's blog. Um, what is it called? Study Hacks. Mm-hmm. And he, his blog is actually the reason that I'm even in medical school in the first place is because he has great just really the best kind of study strategies and skills that of any any website I've seen. Um, and kind of his blog inspired me to start writing a little bit about it. You know, I'd seen a couple other pre-med and medical student bloggers and uh, Steve uh, over at mdjourney.com mm-hmm. had been following his blog for a while. And I figured, you know, this is kind of a chance for me. I didn't know that many great uh, pre-med blog. So I figured I'd start my own and, um, it was a bit of a learning curve <laughs> at the beginning just because, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I was really just writing. I wasn't sure if anyone wanted to read what I was writing. Um, so I, I experimented with a lot of different kind of posts, just general studying posts and then, um, pre-med posts. And eventually I kind of found my niche in, um, documenting the application process. Cause I found that a lot of people, um, a lot of pre-meds love kind of reading that. There's a lot of uh, misinformation on the internet, especially in some forums about, you know, what you should or what you shouldn't be doing. And I just kind of, I wanted to reach out to people that are just, you know, kind of average pre-meds like me that didn't have, you know, the best grades, but were looking for ways to kind of optimize their application. So I documented all the different things I did, like how I wrote a personal statement, you know, the different ways I prepared for my interviews, um, how I uh, I have this post called How to Write a Cover Letter to Ask for a Letter Recommendation. And that is, I think, my most viewed post on Practical Pre-Med. I mean, people love that. I just made this generic format of this cover letter I sent to all my professors to ask for letters of rec. And 
um, I found that people really like having things like that because they don't know, there's no, you know, how to book on how to do things like that. So um, it's been a great experience. I, I loved writing for practical pre-med. And then when I got into medical school, uh, I figured I'd start a new website because I wasn't a pre-med anymore. And that's how uh, White Coat DO came out about. And now uh, that's where I'm blogging at. Um, and I really enjoy the experience because I'm able to network with other bloggers, other um, just cool people on healthcare, social media like yourself. And um, that's really the best thing that I've gotten out of it is the ability to meet people that, you know, I'd, I've never met in person, but I've formed like great relationships with people online um, that are interested in the same things. Yeah. And it's it's not only the benefit to yourself, which is which is great. And I think the relationships, and I talk about this a lot, the, the fact that you need relationships in life uh, to yeah. get into medical school, to get into residency, mm-hmm. um, and, and to get jobs and stuff, but the uh, the relationships that you're building, but also the information that you're putting out, mm-hmm. because there is so much misinformation out there, and that was one of the reasons that I wanted to start my website, I uh, it, I just was kind of sickened at how much misinformation is out there. And and there's a ton of great information out there, but a lot of it is it's hard to find. It's hard to read. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, as you know, most uh, most of the information out there is on like Student Doctor Network, which, yeah. I mean, you can go digging through <laughs> a, a ton of forms and and mm-hmm. find some good information, but a lot of it's, a lot of it's junk, in my opinion. <laughs> Definitely. And it's hard in, in anonymous forums and things like that when you don't really have a verified or credible name to it. And um, I think, I know a lot of people blog anonymously, but I really like um, placing my name on my blog and who I am. I think it, it forces me to really triple and quadruple check what I'm writing, making sure everything's professional. And, you know, I think when people see who is writing something, they're better able to gauge like whether or not they trust it. Yeah. I agree. I think it's important. And it, it it lets people trust you a lot more. Yeah, definitely. So, so one of your, it seems like one of your more popular posts, and one of the posts that I liked a lot on Practical Pre-Med was your post mm-hmm. about the MCAT. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell, us some about, uh, tell us about your MCAT prep. Oh, man, that was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like after the first semester, first semester of medical school, I kind of pushed all of of those other things out of my mind, but I'll try to rehash it. Um, yeah, I, I uh, took the MCAT my junior year. Um, Which is so normal, I, normal what I did was frame, I studied right? for it during the summer between my sophomore and junior year. Um, but then I realized I wasn't ready at the end of the summer, so I delayed it until um, <clears throat> my spring break at the at, like towards the middle of my junior year. And what I did was I just took a really light winter uh, quarter schedule and I tried to um, switch off studying for classes while also doing that. Um, looking back, I did a write on it. I got at the bottom of the range of what I said uh, without having to retake it. Um, but definitely, I would recommend people taking it to definitely do it while they're not in school or doing anything else. Maybe working like a part-time job, but definitely... When studying for the MCAT, it should be your number one uh, kind of concern. I mean, I, I look at how I'm studying now, and I realize that if I had studied for the MCAT like I studied during medical school <laughs> now, I would have done exponentially better. 
because I don't even know, I never had no idea what like hard studying meant. Um, but in terms of prep for the MCAT, I took a Kaplan MCAT course, the uh, group class that they have, and um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it would, the materials they provided us were really good. What I did was I took the course during the summer, and because um, I'd gone into every class and I had done all the assignments, and I told them I didn't feel I was ready, they gave me uh, the option to either take the class again or just have access to the online materials, and I said, I'll just have uh, the online materials. So that's how I studied for it during uh during while i was taking classes but i really i think their um materials are really good uh i'd say for the people that like studying on their own i found that a lot of my peers who did really well use exam crackers a lot so that would be if you're a self-studier that's would be my recommendation but if you like the kind of the schedule then maybe go for an mcat course through uh, kaplan okay so you took the the group course, so you, you're going to the class. How did you like your teacher? Was the teacher okay? Yeah, the teacher was actually really great. He was a uh, – a lot of the teachers that they use are um, people who recently took the MCAT, and he, uh, he uses this really smart guy. He's going to UCLA Med School now, and um, he scored a 36, and he to him that was a horror story because he um, – took like five cups of caffeine the day before the exam. And he said he like totally crashed on the first section, but somehow saved himself enough to do a 36, which in oh. my eyes is just <laughs> unbelievable. Poor, poor baby. <laughs> but he, the thing is like he knew his stuff really well. So it was good. I think it's really uh, beneficial to have someone who really knows their stuff for the MCAT and can do well in it teaching you because they kind of know all the small tricks i mean i wrote in my post how it's kind of like a mental game you have to get just uh the endurance of being able to take the test and also kind of the little tricks along the way you have to get there's so many small things you have to get into it yeah and i'll go into that in a second but why did you at the end of your course uh why didn't you think you were ready for it uh it was based off the practice test i was taking Okay. I took um, a couple of practice tests and I knew there was a couple of gaps in my uh, knowledge that I didn't have um, that, I, that I needed to fill. So I decided that I would, until I like filled those gaps, I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable taking the exam yet. Um, when I started studying, I set, you know, a certain goal in terms of where I wanted to get. And, and I wasn't, <clears throat> I was about a couple points away from that at the end of the semesters, at the end of the summer. So I told myself I'd, use that kind of that extra time to um, study a little bit more during the uh, school year. Okay. And <laughs> studying more during the school year, were your scores going up on the practice tests? Yeah, I, um, I was actually doing really well on practice exams a couple weeks before the exam. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I think I should have taken a couple days before the exam to taper off a little, a lot more. I, I mean, I found myself, I tried, I built so much pressure up on myself for the exam. I was like, this is it. Like, you know, I didn't have an amazing GPA. I didn't have a terrible one, but I knew that uh, my MCAT score would be a big determinant in, you know, whether or not I got into school. So I placed just a lot of pressure on myself and I ended up studying so hard the week uh, before the exam. And I think that just made <clears throat> myself a little more phased out than I should have been. And I ended up getting an, uh, a score. That was in the range I wanted it to be in, but it was uh, towards the lower end of the range. So 
definitely if I could have done it again, I would have tapered off and maybe relaxed a little bit more in the two or three days before the exam. What'd you get on the test? Oh yeah, I got a 30 on the exam. Okay. A great score. What were you scoring yeah, on the, yeah. the the last practice test that you were doing? Um, I was getting on the practice exams 34s, about 33 to 34. Wow. So, so my my goal when I started studying was to hit a 36. Okay. And I wanted to get in that 30 to 36 range and a couple of practice exams um I, it's kind of weird because the Kaplan practice exams aren't the great aren't that great of indicators of scores like more above 33 because they have a, a different grading curve, but the AMC tests are really great um, for actually gauging and being more uh, predictive of the actual test. So I think, you know, being just really nervous kind of cost me a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I really debated taking it again, but it was just this huge kind of mental thing for me to go through. And I figured that, you know, I could either spend more time studying for the MCAT again, or I could put my energy into another, this extracurricular that I had that I really cared about. So I went with that route and I don't, I don't regret it at all. Okay. So you're a first year med student now at a mm -hmm. DO school. Mm -hmm. Did you have a preference for DO or MD? Did you apply to a, a big mix in between the two? Yeah, I applied, I applied to 30 schools in wow. total. It was split about half. Yeah, it was a lot of schools. <laughs> it, was about, it was split about half, like half MD, half DO schools. Um, my stats, my GPA was about a 3.5. So with a 3.5 and a 30 MCAT, that put me about as average as they come. So <clears throat> I figured I'd apply to, I applied to a very wide range of schools and um, I knew I, I would um, wanted to be either an MD or DO just because a lot of the um, mentors I had in undergrad were MDs, but growing up, um, my uncle was actually a DO and actually growing up, I didn't even, I thought all physicians were DO. So for a while, um, you know, I, I didn't, it didn't really make a difference to me just because I had role models that are both MDs and DOs. Um, and the way that it worked out in the application cycle, I got about eight or nine interview requests and I went to about, uh, six of them. I went to six of them and I ended up, uh, choosing Western. Um, Western to me was the best school that I got into just because combination of location and then academics and other things. Um, I'm from Southern California. So the fact that Western was in Southern California was, um, that's probably the biggest factor for me. Okay. Where are you from? I'm from Huntington Beach, actually, okay. Orange County. Right. I'm from Redondo Beach. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, right by. <laughs> Very close. All right. So um, you had talked a little bit earlier about some of these mental tricks to the MCAT. Mm -hmm. I've said a couple times, I think, on some different podcasts that there was this big study done in 2008 that showed that knowledge-based knowledge questions on the MCAT uh, are few and far between. It's more comprehension and... Um, uh, I can't think of the other word, but it, it's a lot of comprehending and putting together kind of what they're asking and then figuring out the answer from that. It's not strict knowledge-based stuff. Yeah. Is that the kind of mental tricks that you're talking about, or what? What kind of mental tricks did you find that the MCAT's about? 
Yeah, yeah, that's um, part of it. I was really, I think in my post, I talked a lot about kind of creating, um, doing the practice tasks exactly the way, the same way. One of the things I tried to do was um, I scheduled because my exam was eight in the morning. I tried to take all my practice exams the same way I would take my actual exam. You know, the night beforehand, I would get a good night's sleep. Um, and then I would wake up at the same time I wanted to try to eat the same breakfast and try to get into like this routine of when I did practice exams and um, really try to do everything the same way. Although the one thing that I did skip was a writing section. I never practiced a writing section until a week beforehand because I, I knew that that's something that they never looked at and they're eliminating that in the next year. So, I mean, no one ever looked at that. I'd, Someone told me this formula of the way you should write the sentences, and I got a decent enough score on that. So that's something that I always skip. Yeah. No more <laughs> but, writing sections. Um, so I who think cares? The, the act of kind of practicing it like you would take it is a big thing. Um, and then also, I talked in the post a little bit about kind of approaching it more of like as a game and realizing there's certain ways to do things. Like you were saying, you know, it's not there's so much information that the MCAT test on that it'd be, you know, almost pointless to try to memorize everything. And it's more important to understand the concepts and know how to apply different uh, concepts to questions. I think I should have spent a little more time practicing that. I would have gotten a higher score if I had done that. Okay. When you sat down for the test, would you actually time yourself and sit there for the full five, six, seven, eight hours? Oh yeah. That was, those were the worst. <laughs> the first time I took a practice exam, I came home with just a splitting headache because I'd never <laughs> really sat down and taken a test for that long. I mean, and now I study for longer than that. But before then, as an undergrad, I'd go to a coffee shop um, that was nearby and I sat at a table and I took that exam for about five or six hours. And then when I left, the coffee shop owner was just baffled that I'd been sitting there for that long. <laughs> but yeah, I, I took the whole um five to six hour test about once every every few weeks okay um what are you interested in going into do you know i don't have a specific preference yet i had a lot of mentors that were um, in emergency medicine internal medicine and family medicine so that's kind of where i'd see myself going right now because that's why you know when i decided to become a physician it's because of these people and you know kind of the examples that they set but um i just i have no exposure to surgical fields so i don't know i don't even know if i'd be interested in that so that's why i'm open to anything but definitely um i'd love to get into things that involve uh public health um i'd love to write as a part of my medical career and also maybe um pursue things in like healthcare information technology and things like that. So I don't know specialty wise, but I know kind of what I do on the side <laughs> as hobbies. Yeah. Very cool. So you're, you're about to go back to your second semester of your first year. Mm -hmm. What classes are you going back into and how does, how does your school, um, structure its uh, curriculum is it systems based or is it more traditional yeah so western u um does systems based the first semester is kind of a intro to 
kind of the basis of medicine. So we do medical gross anatomy, a 12-week block, and then we do the molecular and cellular basis of medicine as an eight-week block. So the first semester is just getting all the anatomy and all the molecular and cellular basis of medicine kind of grounded. And then after that, now, this next semester, the first class we're taking is a infectious disease and immunotherapies class. And then after that, we take blood and lymph. And then um, after that, we take neuro. So after that first semester, now we're approaching a more uh, traditional systems base where we go all those different things. I know second years do renal, they do respiratory and things like that. So after the first semester, we switched to more of a systems base. But for definitely for the first semester, I'd say it's more more traditional. Okay. And for, for people listening that don't know, and I wish I knew this going in, and again, another reason why I do this, so mm-hmm. other people know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, my medical school, New York Med, didn't do a systems-based, and I think I would have done better at systems-based because it helps integrate all the information together at one time instead of taking pharmacology as a separate course and physiology as a separate course. Mm-hmm. You are studying the cardiac system and you learn the anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, um, pathology. You're, you're learning it all at the same time. And I think that helps, uh, it, at least for my studying, it, that mm-hmm. would have helped me. So do, do you think... It, was that a, a determination in, in where you wanted to go to school, or did you not think about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. That was one of the things um, I thought about. I mean, when it came down to it, a lot, a lot of physicians told me, you know, medical school is medical school. It doesn't really – don't get bogged down in the different, you know, learning curriculums that they have. But definitely between some schools I was deciding on, some schools did it more of a traditional base and. I really like that Western did um, a systems base, especially as you get closer to uh, step one, the first board exam you have to take. Because I know um, in just the first aid for step one, that's the way they organize it. And I think uh, I haven't taken step one yet, but from what I've heard, it's a better way to learn those concepts is to think about everything from the anatomy, the physiology, the pharmacology, and not just isolate everything. Because when you get those questions, and again, I haven't taken the exam, but I'd assume when you get those questions, they're a little more complex than just, you know, straightforward. What is X, Y, or Z? (laughs) Yeah, they're not that straightforward. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, no test from here on out will be straightforward for you. (laughs) Unfortunately. Um, All right. So, your systems based. What are you doing um, in your your summer in between first and second year? Do you know what you're doing yet? I'm actually still figuring that out. Um, there's lots of different possibilities right now. Right now is actually when I'm figuring that out. There's a couple. Our school offers, or more, they they tell us about different opportunities that are available. Um, there's some research opportunities for us, uh, as well as other things. I'm definitely going to apply to, um, a few research positions. I think, uh, there's a couple gaps in my like research experience that I'd like to fill. Definitely. If I could have gone back in undergrad, I would have done a little more research just because I didn't do that much as an undergrad. And I'm starting to see that it might hurt me right now, just because if I wanted to get a research position, it's hard me to compete against people that may have had more research experience as an undergrad um but where i did have experiences in undergrad and like 
service experiences and things like that, that's where I might also explore. So maybe clinical opportunities abroad or maybe trying to explore uh, public health options as well uh, here in the States. But I have no concrete plans yet, but that's definitely one of my priorities for the next month to figure out. Okay. What uh, What's one of the, the biggest things you know now that you wish you knew starting the whole process? That I would make it through. <laughs> I think... Uh, that you would make it through. Yeah, that I would make it through. Okay, I think so, so having the really, confidence. Yeah. I think really uh, the first month was a really just a struggle just mentally just because I'd never taken anatomy before as adjusting to a new school. I mean, it's, it's stressful, like moving to a new place, having a whole new social group, this whole new everything, you know, a new living situation. And uh, on top of that, adjusting to the volume of medical school just being thrown at you. I think that was really stressful. There's numerous times where I just like, I would stare at my uh, netters book and just think, you know, can I really do this? Or like, if I drop out right now, I won't lose too much money. Like, there's so many times I just really thought about it. But I think looking back, it's a little, you know, those, those thoughts are a little silly. But I think a lot of people dealt with that and definitely talking to my classmates, I think pretty much everyone, you know, struggles with those kind of same doubts because it's just, it's hard. It's not impossible, but it's, it's hard. So I think <clears throat> I, I, I mean, it's hard for anyone to know that they will make it through, but if I could somehow talk to myself a couple of months ago and be like, everything's going to be all right, just relax, keep on studying, you'll be fine. Yeah. And you did fine. You made it through. Yeah, I'm fine. So, <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, you have any other words of wisdom for any of our listeners? Yeah, I mean, don't. I think one of the things that I really picked up from um, just pre med and medical school and blogging in general uh, is just not be afraid to go after things if you really want them. I think um, definitely. It, like I was talking about with medical school, but also with blogging, like there's a lot of times I wasn't sure if I was actually doing anything to help people. And, you know, I think just really putting out content there and then guest blogging in other people's websites and um, just getting in contact with people. And eventually people started reading my site and I'd get emails from people that would, you know, thank me for helping them, even though I'd never met them before. And that, that was a really cool feeling. You know, people would say, oh, I've been following your blog for this long and it's helped me so much and I really want to thank you I think things like that really make a difference so if you know for any pre-meds or anybody else who's kind of feeling down about the whole process you know there's so many outlets you can pursue to you know really kind of uh, reinvigorate yourself and kind of make something that makes it all worth it yeah where where can people find your website so my website is whitecoatdo.com. That's the website I blog at right now. And um, if you're looking for any pre-med advice, I documented, documented essentially my whole application process on practicalpremed.com. So you can find, and there's links to both websites on either way. So uh, okay. if you want to contact me, there's contact things there as well. And I usually answer emails when I'm not studying, which is... <laughs> far and few between, but I try to get to them. 
Wow, great information there from Ryan from whitecoatdo.com. I also want to thank the gentleman that emailed in the question. If you have a question that you would like to ask us, just go to medicalschoolhq.net and click on the contact tab. I would prefer you call in a question. That way I can play it here on the podcast so I don't have to read to everybody. The number here is 617-410-6747. For all the topics that we covered today, you can find the show notes at medicalschoolhq.net slash session nine. Oh, and if you haven't already done so, if you could go into iTunes and if you like us, go ahead and give us a five-star rating and leave us a good solid review. The way iTunes works is they rank us higher in their algorithms the more people that subscribe to us and give us good ratings. So if you could do that, that lets more people find us and uh, spread the knowledge. That's our goal here at the medical school headquarters. I hope the information provided today will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Make sure to join us next time here at the medical school headquarters.